Hi everyone, um, welcome back to MHTA the podcast. I'm your host Angela and today we are talking about grief. Um, we are talking about caring and grief and I'm with a fellow carer today. Her name is Kate. She is 28 and she lives in London with her partner. She is originally from Sheffield where her family still live, including her mum who she cares for. Um, Kate's mum has suffered on and off with mental health issues for the past four years following a stroke and she has had to learn fast and hard about supporting people struggling with severe depression and anxiety and has also recently had experience of managing crisis situations as her mum's illness worsened due to the pandemic. Professionally, Kate works in international development policy and personally, she spends a lot of time writing and swimming, but not at the same time. <laughs> um, me and Kate met a few months ago now, and we've had um, really candid conversations about caring. Um, and also with the age that we are, like the sorts of big decisions we've had to make and stuff like that. So I'm going to hand it over to Kate. Um, we're going to speak about lots of different things within grief. Um but I'm going to hand it over to her to kind of like explore the topic a bit more and then we'll go from there. Great. Thank you so much. And thank you so much for inviting me to talk to you. Um, yeah, as you said, we kind of got in touch. I got in touch with you a few months ago, yeah. um, really feeling a bit isolated at the time and wanting to reach out and find more people who might be going through a similar experience. Um and I think it's really interesting that you wanted to talk about grief because that's been something that I didn't realise was part of that feeling isolated. Right. Um, definitely when I was kind of processing some of those feelings and on and off for the past sort of four, three, four years, mm-hmm. it took me a really long time to figure out that a lot of what I was feeling amounted to grief that's that's what it was just in a different form um and it took me a really long time to to figure that out so I you know I think that it's a really important conversation to be having around grief and caring because it's it's not always the easiest one to start I think yeah definitely I agree um I didn't actually realize that I had been struggling with grief until I, I had um gone through a process of um psychodynamic counseling and the counsellor was like, oh, you have this feeling of loss. You keep feeling like isolated and lonely. And I was like, yeah, but that's normal. But she was like, no, it's not. It's like, it's actually grief. And then I was like, oh, wow. Because normally you associate grief with death. You never associate it. Well, I mean, that is a loss. That's a physical loss. But um, no one really talks about grief where you haven't physically lost someone. But you sure. Feel- yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I think I having having been in that space where I have lost somebody so I've done the more traditional yeah aspects of, of that grieving process um you know before before I I came on I I did a quick google search earlier and just was like what is the definition of it because I think it's really interesting about we talk about that word of loss yeah. and this idea that when we feel a right to say it's grief and when we feel like we probably shouldn't use that word. And again, for a long time and, and through the process of therapy. So we're both pushing that, you know, therapy is therapy can be great for those feelings that you feel like you shouldn't have, yeah. that you don't have a right to have. 
And for a really long time, I didn't feel like I had a right to use that word, that grief was something which was your right to say that you felt grief if you had lost somebody. Mm-hmm. And the, But the more I thought about how I feel about the situation with, with my mum and for anybody who is who is caring for all sorts of illnesses, you know, like people who have dementia and Alzheimer's, yeah. you are, the loss that we're talking about with caring is not, you know, a, phys- a physical loss and a physical presence, which is really huge and really big and a, and a a whole different side of things but it is a loss of things like um it's a loss of potential you know thinking about those memories that you might have thought you wanted to make with that person that you're caring for that might seem like they're they're probably not going to happen now and it's also a loss of for me the big thing was that loss of that typical relationship between mother and daughter and that even at 28 I wasn't that was a transition and I that's for me when it felt like it tipped to being fair to talk about the phrase the, and use the word grief that yeah. felt right for me at that point wow so you mentioned like the definition of grief um so this is what I found on the internet but it says grief is a natural response to loss it's the emotional suffering you feel when something or someone you love is taken away Often the pain of loss can feel overwhelming. You may experience all different kinds of difficult and and unexpected emotions from shock or anger to disbelief, guilt and profound sadness. The pain of grief can also disrupt your physical health, making it difficult to sleep, eat or even think straight. These These are normal reactions to loss and the more significant the loss, the more intense your grief will be. So I guess like based on on what you said about your feeling like a loss of the relationship, like the traditional relationship that a mother will have with a daughter is same, is exactly the same. I think the first time we spoke, I was like, I feel like we have the same story, <laughs> just slightly different. Um, but I think mine happened much earlier on where I didn't really feel like we had a uh, the best relationship. We didn't have a bad relationship, but I wasn't one of those young girls that would run to mum whenever something was going wrong. Um, and that was like, it, it did happen when I was much younger, but once I got older, I didn't have that anyway. So it was really hard for me to like, I'm trying to explain it in the best way. Like I, I always wanted and desired to have that relationship, but I didn't have it. And then when I saw that her mental health was getting worse, it was like, like you mentioned, the potential of it possibly happening was kind of like taken away from me. Um, so yeah, it's, oh, I could talk about so many, so many memories that I had as a young girl and like, I always desired them. When you're, sometimes I didn't realise until I had conversations with my friends and like, oh yeah, I spoke to my mum about this and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, oh, wow. Like I don't have that. So yeah, <laughs> go from there. Yeah, for sure. And I think that, again that thing of especially like our age and and we're still luckier than people who have done it at younger age than than we did and I was I find myself in that camp where I think oh it feels a bit unfair because not many of my friends have to consider some of the things I have to consider and then I think that you know I also had my teenage years and my young adult years like pretty grown up now or at least I you know try try to be most of the time 
And so I think, okay, it's not that bad. And I, you know, what you were saying about what we were saying about that lost potential is also something I think that's really unique that I've struggled to explain is because because of the way that my mum's illness works and the way that sometimes mental health works is that it's also not absolute. Like I'm not on a grieving process that's going to culminate in, in, well, I'm not in a grieving process that I know is going to culminate in death soon. So it's not like a transition has started, yeah. but quite often that means that I find myself tipping between intense grief and sadness when we're at crisis point and then hope which just shoots in and it's really good that as humans we that it just it just grows whether we think it's wise or not to hope it just it comes but it means that you're basically always like balancing somewhere between the two you're you're holding this grief for this situation and this person that is still here but isn't here in the way that you wish they were here mm. and then you're hoping that it changes and all of it it's just really exhausting because you're like mentally you are working all the time yeah. and if you don't have those spaces you know if I didn't have this space to talk to you and if we didn't have the spaces that we that we engineer for ourselves with therapy like it gets really hard and it, it builds up really quickly definitely and I mean it affects your friendships and stuff I, I really want to talk about that place where you're in limbo when you're literally between two places like oh it's, it's so difficult. I think for me, I found that I was in a constant like emotion of just sadness all the time. Mm -hmm. And even moments where I was like, oh, there's hope here. I couldn't even enjoy it. I couldn't really celebrate my achievements and stuff because it was like, oh, you just never know mm -hmm. what's going to happen next. Um, what I want to kind of like speak about a bit more is like, so on my side, like my mom was sectioned twice. And I think you've mentioned that your mum has been sectioned a few times as well. Um, I want to talk about like what happens when they're sectioned? Like, how do you feel? Where do you place your emotions? Because a lot of the time it's like, oh gosh, we're back at it again is another thing. And I remember experience like feeling like that intensely. Um, and then you feel like grief, you feel grief again because it's like, oh, well, but if they come out and they're worse than they were the first time. And then also not knowing what happens in the hospital. That was another thing that was just so like, I felt so much guilt because of that. So yeah, let's let's explore that a little bit more because these are things that people don't talk about when we talk about yeah. yeah. This is something I haven't, I feel like I should have got a glass of wine for this because I'm like <laughs> ready to. Yeah, I think I think that's that's so right. And I what I think is really interesting about that period of so when I when I talk about crisis point, what I am talking about there is an attempt that my mum has made um yeah. to either harm herself or ultimately end her life I still find even all this time into it I still find finding those words difficult mm -hmm. and finding a phrase that people will accept or people understand because sometimes you drop certain words into a conversation and it's very hard to pick them back up again so that's what I mean when I talk about crisis point from from my perspective and actually, I find that bit really difficult where you're looking at a hospital admission and you're you're back. 
like you said, you feel like you're back at the start and your emotions have taken over again. And then you have that little, I, so I still have that sort of little, little seedling voice in the back of my head that says, okay, but maybe this time it will be different. Yeah. And you're yeah. like, you sort of don't want that voice because you think, oh, this makes it more painful when it's not different. Right. And then you think, God, if I didn't have that voice, how much worse would it be? Yeah. So that's really difficult because you don't know whether, you know, if you think about this little voice, like a tiny little flower, you don't know whether to like crush it mm. or you think, oh, I just water it and tend to it. And then maybe, maybe. But the one thing that I've, I've really had to lean into and it's effort and it's work is that when that crisis point happens and when that hospital admission happens, that is the closest I can get to rest because I have to think about it practically, which is when do I know my mum is safest? And when we're talking about words like safe, then I know it's like, okay, I can't be that person because I don't know I can do love and I can do kindness and I can do patience but my job is not safe because that's that's a professional's job and so that for me is the tipping point in which I know to do things like ask for maybe some time off work or ask for more support from friends or just sleep more because that's like my chance to rest and you're right guilt guilt does not go away guilt just sits there just following me around but that is something because I think I'm just gonna say one more thing and then because I realize this has stopped sounding like a conversation and it's me no, just it's fine honestly it's fine it's fine <laughs> but I think one thing that's that is changes when you've gone past that point when you've had a crisis point in the past something changes and I've definitely noticed that when I think about grief, the one thing I've had to really cope with and, and work through with my therapist, which is sometimes I feel like I'm being really dramatic to be like, oh, I'm so worried. You know, I think I'm grieving. And then I think very practically what I'm doing is I'm looking after somebody who I love, yeah. who because of their illness has an intention to not be here anymore sometimes. And so it's probably fair that I would worry that they won't be here soon. Does that make sense? Yeah. It's, it's like managing that worry and something I've always struggled with because I, I struggle with anxiety is what's a reasonable worry and what isn't. But the difference is, is that when you're looking after somebody who has taken that action before or suffers from the illness to such an extent that that is something that's happened, it doesn't feel unrealistic to worry about the fact that they might not be here someday because sometimes that's their goal. So it that that's also really difficult. And, and one of the things that people don't talk about is that you're, you are, you're right. You're totally in limbo. Yeah. I am. Um, I find like this part of the conversation that, that what we're speaking about is still a bit raw to the touch because um I remember when um, my mum was first sectioned and I was at university at the time. So there was a bit of escapism there. I could like run away and like, just think about my own self, quote unquote, but there was a lot still happening at home. And then the second time when I became the nearest relative and she was sectioned, then then that's when I was like, damn, like, I just don't know what's gonna happen. 
and when you were talking about like um worrying and when you think that are you worrying too much or too little um I always feel like I'm I'm on the extreme end and because that my anxiety like goes through the roof because of that um I was going to mention also like even now like there's been moments where she would express like wanting to hurt herself and stuff and again I'm like I'm just grieving too much like do you know I have thoughts of like when is this just gonna stop like when is she just gonna be in a stable like condition or position mentally because it's too traumatizing for me yeah I mean what's weird is that and I feel like that because one of the things that I found is that there isn't a lot of support to have conversations like this like we fall into this like when you break it down, it's like actually a really small part of a Venn diagram. Mm. A fairly like, I'm not going to swear, but a fairly rubbish, probably stronger words than rubbish diagram mm. of just like, you know, supporting a parent, which is kind of rubbish, being young, kind of rubbish. Yeah. It's a mental health issue. So it's, it's unpredictable. It's changeable. It's rubbish. And then you've got that you've got that line that certainly we've crossed, which is that harm line, mm. which makes things a lot more complicated. Unfortunately, a lot more taboo. So yeah. there's one more stigma. And I know what you mean. I, it, it feels raw for me because sometimes I, it's really difficult, isn't it? Because you don't want to dwell on it. Yeah. And you don't want to feel like you're saying your situation is any worse than anybody else's. Right. And then, and but then you have to think sometimes, you know, I've had to have those conversations where you're asking questions that you really, really don't want the answers to. <laughs> you, you're like, okay, the right thing to do is to ask this question, and right. you are hoping that you get a different answer than the one you know you're going to get, because the one you're going to get means you got to do something, mm-hmm. and also, this is really painful yeah and you, and the best part is you gotta you gotta you gotta kick into action while it's really painful so you gotta sort loads of stuff out you gotta do the admin you gotta make the calls you gotta keep keep the situation calm but inside you're human this person is your mother and that's not what you're doing inside yeah I, I'm literally sitting here nodding my head like continuously because I everything Kate said like I relate so much to um and even with like the whole emotion of grief and the additional emotions that come with grief there's so many times where I feel like I'm so repetitive and so like I'm having conversations with my friends and I feel like I'm explaining the same thing to you I explained to you two weeks ago and like there is nothing that they can say often that helps soothe that feeling of grief and because of that I guess my next question is do you feel like we're always going to be in this position where there is an expectation that it could get better but at the same time there's this constant feeling of grief that is consistent goes up and down but it's pretty much consistent and has been consistent for for these years like do you think it's going to change because there's part of me that's like I have hope like yeah there's still part of me that's like I have I still have a lot of hope that things will get better but I think things will get better if I change my perspective and I'm not sure if I'm ready to change my perspective yet because it's been so challenging so far yeah I think I think that's almost the hardest thing isn't it is that you're like 
does this involve me doing more work? Yeah. <laughs> and you're like, oh, that doesn't yeah. really, it doesn't really feel like something I want to do. Um, that's a really good question because one thing I noticed, so we've, we've basically been through a cycle in the last eight, nine months where we've been at crisis point four times. So that's like, that's a busy cycle yeah. for any, by anybody's standards. And so actually we've been sucked in and spat out, you know, loads and loads of times. Mm-hmm. And the, the, the bit I would genuinely say I found the hardest is when we got the closest to what I felt was like a genuine chance at recovery. Mm. And I found the, the, I found the fragile nature of that terrifying. Wow. It's almost like, I don't know. I think I'm going to say it because people don't say it enough. I think we've, we're really good at coping with this stuff. Mm. I think we have our systems and our ways of managing stress and crisis which other people maybe can't understand but it's almost that moment when you are allowed to contemplate how difficult it's been how scary it's felt how scared you are that it happens again because when you're in it like any stressful situation when you're in it you just get on with it yeah you just do it it's not until you know I didn't feel some of those emotions in a really painful and raw way until we were at that part of the process Mm -hmm. when actually it felt the hardest because it felt we had the most to lose. And and ultimately we did, I guess it's how I talk about it. Like we did lose that in that we're back at crisis point, Mm -hmm. but then part of me thinks, okay, but there were shoots. I keep coming back to this idea of shoots. And I, and I just think, I just think I might always be in this position. And then part of me thinks, given it, it, it could be worse. Yeah. It could be worse because I never, you know, we're in a cycle and I sort of get a bit blasé talking about the cycle of like, mm. you know, crisis point and recovery. I'm fully aware that there could be a crisis point where we don't get a chance at recovery. Mm. And I know that. Mm. And and that's 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 why it's that's why these conversations are so important because you've got all these different conflicting emotions. Like it isn't just sadness, it isn't just all the all the rubbish stuff. It's also that really important stuff. And but you don't get an opportunity to, to wear it all out. Yeah. I agree. I kind of want to go back to this analogy that you said in the beginning and you just um made a point about it about the shoots and the shoots of hope and stuff like that and I guess I wanted to ask what would happen if we got to the point where the flower actually began to bloom and when the tree begins to grow like how will that feel? Because I know that we're talking about grief and stuff and it, it can feel very like, oh, wow, like, <laughs> I can't believe I'm still in this position. But let's talk about the other side of it, whereas where it's like the shoots begin to grow and you're watering it. And what 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 kind of support as well do you think we could, it, we could have to help us overcome this feeling of grief into hope? Um, yeah. Yeah, I love that. Let's take that metaphor all the way. Yeah. Um, 
That's such an interesting question. I guess also the first thing is that it goes back to our point about not feeling like it's okay to say that what we're feeling is grief, because we know that grief is sort of, we think about grief as like a a final emotion. Mm -hmm. Whereas I feel like, well, if that, if that flower might bloom, you know, should I really say I'm grieving? And I am, so I am sensitive about that because I know that for so many people who are grieving, that possibility of hope is, is not there. That being said, I think, you know, that, that process is really interesting, right? Because when you're in the position that we've been in, you also hold on to things so tightly and you put yourself in the middle of them. So 90% of the time you have to be in the middle of the situation because you're an important part of it. And the other 10%, you kind of, you don't know who you are if you're not in the middle of it. Mm. And that's again, you know, I get my money's worth with my therapist. I can, I can, (laughs) it's something that we talked about about recovery which is what happens if it's all okay which feels scary it feels as scary to consider right because it's like you want it so much that you just you don't you don't go there mentally because it also changes you know your relationship to things and your relationship to you know I, I don't say this lightly that this is massively altered my identity and who I am yeah and the things that I the ways in which I view myself and and what matters to me in terms of what I'm good at and what I want to contribute yeah and that's been a positive that I didn't expect but it also means that what happens if that situation all works out and it rectifies itself and then you're kind of sat in this position where you're like okay so now what do I do? And I, I think that is so interesting at our time of the this time in our lives where we're doing that stuff anyway. Yeah. And we're potentially making decisions with this situation, not hanging over us, because I, I don't I don't like to think, you know, but we're we're making decisions with this with this issue in mind. Yeah. Knowing that every option is still available to us right and every option is a believable option mm. so that's what I think is is that's what I try and explain to people is everybody makes decisions when bad things happen but we're consistently making decisions where all options are available so mm. my mum could get better and be good and so I don't need to consider her so much in my options this situation could just continue for years and years and years mm. or you know you have the worst outcome where we don't, as I mentioned, we don't have a chance at recovery because this this illness ultimately plays plays out in the worst way. And so I think that's what, it would be amazing if recovery happened. But I think when we think about support for carers, it's also about what happens when that changes, when it ends, in whatever way that happens, whether it happens for a good reason or a bad reason. Yeah. You are... I just think you are changed by doing this role even if you're not doing it anymore like you see things differently you you consider we talked about some of the big decisions that you know we we're not going to go into you know detail about but personal decisions that are viewed through the lens of what it's like to look after somebody else yeah. and all that stuff like so it's not I think I think the idea is you know well if my mum gets better that's like cool that chapter's done mm-hmm. and I just I think that's I know that's not the case for me. Yeah. 
I think for me is like it feels like a constant dream that's gonna happen but like you said it's like you dare not think like that in case it doesn't happen and how the emotional effect of that um when it doesn't happen like you mentioned like my caring experience has pretty much changed like every most things if not everything um from my career to what I do now with mental health, the arts and stuff like that. Like I wouldn't be sitting here having this conversation if I didn't go through caring for my mum and stuff. So like, I, I totally agree. Like there's not enough support. Like, I feel like we as carers and even like speaking about the different feelings that we have, is just like very, very limited. <laughs> very limited to the point where, for example, you mentioned you reached out to me and I've had to reach out to other people as well to be like, oh my gosh, I just need to offload because nobody around me actually understands unless they're a carer. So definitely like there needs to be much more than just these these conversations we're having is they're brilliant, but like I feel like there needs to be some sort of like formal thing in place of like hi hair, hi, I'm a carer. I'm a, I feel grief, I need help, and I, I need to understand what are these emotions that I'm feeling and if they are okay. Because often people think that, or I don't know if you've experienced it, but I feel like, oh, because I feel grief or because I feel sad or angry, is it okay? Like, why am I always angry all the time? Why am I always sad all the time? why am I always like quote unquote people say why are you always moody and stuff but it's because it's happened for such a long period of time experiencing a different kind of emotion is weird (laughs) it's so strange so there's moments where like I can't I find that like if I'm celebrating an achievement that I've had I'll celebrate within like an for an hour and after that it's just like oh I've got other stuff to think about I've got to think about (laughs) what I'm doing with like my mom and stuff like that like there's just always so much in my mind and like yeah it's about time that there was more support out there so we can flesh out these emotions properly and we can truly like heal from them even if it ends up being like bad like being a bad outcome we know that we've been we've been able to have like processes and things in place to support us on that journey because I find that like in some circumstances where there is a bad outcome it's like oh we're just like everybody else now who has lost a loved one whether it's suddenly or do you get what I mean like there just has to be something different because our needs and because of what we feel it's quite unique especially for young people like it's not like our moms were like traditionally our moms will be caring for us like they'll be looking after us like for the rest of our lives but now it's like it's it's reversed so um yeah I um I I it's it's a really it's a really interesting one isn't it because you talked about how it's we both said how it's impacted almost every aspect of our lives and then and then I find that I push back against that and I think okay is that is that right is that okay am I just that am I going to be that person who's like oh something something happened to her mom and then she just like all she would talk about is this stuff mm-hmm. so I don't I talk about loads of stuff and I think I have you know I think I I'm a I'd like to think I'm an interesting person but also it's on my mind a lot so the more the more I'm filtering what I'm saying to people the more pressure that puts on me and actually it almost goes the opposite way is if is if I'm really filtering what I'm saying to you 
chances are you are, you're going to end up hearing more about it at some point because I it's not going to go anywhere else so it's going to come back whereas if we could just have more comfortable conversations and, and normalize some of this stuff chances are we could catch up for a drink that would take two hours and I'd maybe need like 20 minutes and then we can talk about other stuff yeah. but if for two hours I'm telling my brain don't don't think about that don't bring that up this person won't know what to say that's way more pressure and it ends up being more in your mind you know I I think it's so interesting you said about that specific support as well because it's something that I have really struggled to find really struggled I I remember like the first time that I thought okay maybe you need to look for something like maybe you need to look for a group or I don't I don't know what I wanted Mm. I what I probably didn't want was a cuppa at like 2 p.m and I I don't mean to be reductive like that works for some people but you know I have I work I have a a busy life and I it would be difficult for me to get time off to go you know have a have a catch-up in the day so I don't know what I was hoping to find but you know when I typed in I think I typed into Google sort of caring in my 20s and honestly the first three pages were just about like skincare routines in your 20s and I was so wow I just put my phone away and I was like well I'm okay great because if I didn't you know if I wasn't feeling isolated before I am now yeah exactly and you know I know I've mentioned it to you but that's something that I'm really keen to try and create is that is that space and it and it it's going to take a lot of vulnerability from me which I've sort of made my peace with Mm -hmm. and I think there's always that risk when you put your hand up to say I want to start a conversation because you you have to start it so you have to be the person that offers your story and your hurt and your sadness and all of that stuff you have to offer that first and say okay this is what I'm starting with Mm. please if you want if you want to do it and you know so far I've put that into different spaces and places and sometimes people have responded and sometimes people haven't it's and it's you know thinking about the work that you do and those newsletters that you send and, and these discussions you'll know that to start from that point is like okay I have to take this big leap because otherwise maybe it's not going to exist mm. if it doesn't come from me yeah it's kind of where I'm at I guess now yeah I mean I'm in a similar space like when I first started I was like if not me then who because there's no one that I've known before me that has had these important conversations and even just oh, I think it was just like the synergy that we had when we spoke and I was like oh few like finally somebody who just gets it and um what you mentioned about like the two o'clock copper like grab a coffee and chat and stuff on and this isn't to say that they're bad things but honestly like you said it it just doesn't work it just doesn't work for our our lives like at all like we're 28 (laughs) we've got big decisions that we're making in our lives we're working full-time or we're studying and stuff like that it just it just doesn't work at all um but yeah, like I, I would love for you to, like I know Kate is like working on some great stuff at the moment um, surrounding these to- sorts of topics that we're talking about. So I'm going to let Kate tell us a bit more about that. And then, um, yeah, I think we should like probably give some advice as well <laughs> on anyone that might be feeling grief or feels like their feelings are not validated at all as well. 
Sure. So I, I guess what I'm working on at the moment, and it's very early days because this is all a process for me and I'm still pushing myself out of that kind of that, that feeling of these feelings are not right or you you know you don't have the right to talk about this because worse things have happened to people and people have been you know people are experiencing terrible things and what makes your story different so that that's like the back chatter in my mind but that's what I try and tell myself it's just back chat because you know this is important so what I'm what I'm working on is I've been writing for like the past few months a mix I think of sort of like personal essays which are just motivated by feelings but then also trying to think of the practical things like what do I wish I'd have known what do I wish I you know what do I still wish I knew things about very practical things like admission into an inpatient unit which until it happened for us I honestly couldn't think of anything worse and then I think about everything that option has given us Mm -hmm. and I think it's so important I I know that there are also instances of when it's not worked and also bad things have happened, but equally it does not deserve the stigma that it has because it's, it's such an important tool in, in mental health care. Um, And, and kind of posts around, you know, when my friends say to me, I don't really know what to say. And I think, okay, I'm genuinely willing to give you some bullet points about what you could say. (laughs) So it's kind of all that sort of stuff. And I'm, I'm hoping to turn it into a website, um, though I'm a bit of a technological Luddite. So my, my friend is helping me do that. Um, so I have to be very patient um, with the idea that hopefully that can prompt a conversation. Like I will be contactable through the website. And my hope, I think, is that A, that I can use some of this experience to work with other organisations that might be in this space and offer some of Yes, they're just my insights, but equally, you know, I, th- I think about conversations that have been started by just one person's insights. And I think, well, like you say, if, if I keep looking around me and over my shoulder and waiting for that person and they're not, they're not arriving, like, you know, maybe it is going to have to be me. Yeah. Um, so that's what I'm working on. And I guess then thinking about where my tips come in and what, what I would, the advice I would give like even me three months ago and probably me in three months because you know it takes it takes a while to learn is if even if it's hard to talk about it like write it down because I find writing things down it's my validation process because I'm not because I'm when you tell somebody something you're also waiting to see how they react whereas when you're writing something you're not waiting for a reaction so whatever you write just is, it's just true because it's, it's come out. And I think also just that kind of, that keeping space for everything. And I know that sounds really lame, but not everybody can afford therapy. And I know that and not everybody can access therapy through the NHS. And I'm, that is one of the huge privileges that I have is that I have the money to do that. Yeah. But that still doesn't mean that I was very good at it for a long time because you know she would say you know my therapist would say things to me and I'd I'd just dismiss it I'd be like well I probably don't feel that emotion because I doesn't really feel like the right emotion to be feeling right and yet what a ridiculous thing to say because if I'm saying it then it's obviously how I'm feeling so that combination of writing it right you know 
to keep writing it down keep validating it for yourself like you you can validate your own feelings and then yeah I hope that because I want to say to people look for look for advice ask for help but I also know that it's not always there yeah so that's kind of I guess where I feel like I want to try and come in is that somebody you know in in six months time might find themselves where we are and stumble across this or us and maybe that's where we come in is my hope I think I agree I think if anything I'll just be echoing what you what you said basically your emotions are very valid and just to say like once Kate has her website up you are more than welcome to reach out to her and then also like we at Mental Health the Arts are also here to support like we may not be able to give you therapy or counselling but we're happy to have these open conversations that might just be the start of you opening up a bit more and then we can signpost you to relevant organisations or to support you on your journey like you said find an outlet like write things down I dance in my room I listen to music (laughs) these are all things that help me like let off some steam um as well it's been great having you Kate today lovely to have this um beginning of such a great valid important conversation and I'm sure you'll hear from Kate again on this podcast or through other means we look forward to speaking to you in the next podcast if you'd love to leave a review we'd definitely love to hear from you and you can find us on our socials at mhta underscore ldn and our website is www.mhta-ldn.org speak to you soon